From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. We've been offline for a couple of weeks because I was sick. Big apologies. I missed you. And now I am back. And today we have a topic that I've been itching to do for a really long time. We are talking about I Know What You Did Last Summer, but not just classic I Know What You Did Last Summer. We're going to be talking about Mike Flanagan's unmade 2016-ish reboot of this classic neo-slasher. We have a returning guest judge today. Please welcome back Jinx. Jinx, how's it going? I've been in this damn dungeon (laughs) for months. 
Josh. God, I, I'm sorry. There's, I've been busy. I've, it totally slipped my mind. Um, but you look good. You must be like just rats or shit. You're, you're eating, so that's good. I heard you coughing upstairs, and I was glad yeah. you were sick. Oh, you don't mean that, Jinx. I'm not going to take that personally. Guys, he's just tired. He's hungry. But we're back. And I think that we're both going to have a good time talking about, I know what you did last summer today. And then maybe we'll talk about letting you out. I totally forgot that you were down there. And that's my bad. That's on me. And I can take accountability. Jinx, I've missed you. I know that maybe you're feeling your feelings right now. But I'm just wondering if you could do me the favor of reintroducing yourself to the development hell audience. If I pretend to be chipper <laughs> and get through one more of these, mm -hmm. acting as though I'm enjoying it, will you let me out? Definitely. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, here it goes. <clears throat> Hey, Josh, how's it going? <laughs> Thanks so much for having me back. I very much appreciate it and can't wait to dive in. I love it. Thank you, Jinx. You're, you're always such a team player, and that's what we appreciate about you. Yeah, so as I mentioned, today we're talking about Mike Flanagan's I Know What You Did Last Summer reboot. And my first question for you and for me and for everyone at home is what was your first contact with I Know What You Did Last Summer? What was the beginning of your I Know journey? Oh, Josh, do you – okay, I, I know that you asked that question thinking that this is probably going to be a brief enough answer, but you're <laughs> going to have to pull up a chair if you want me to answer honestly. I'm ready. I'm waiting. I'm here. Okay. So I know what you did last summer and I, we, we have a history at Nye. Uh, Icky Whittles and me, we probably got acquainted after I heard that the guy who wrote Scream back in the day had a brand new movie coming out. And uh, I I just couldn't wait. I was a huge, huge Scream fan. Still am. Uh, I love those four movies. All four of them. <clears throat> four movies? Yes. Is that a, I, I'm not exactly yeah. sure which one you're leaving out, but I'm assuming the new one. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, there's Scream, oh, Scream 2, God. Scream 3, and then Wes Craven's final movie, Scream 4. And, you know, it's a great <laughs> Controversial franchise. Controversial queen. Interesting. Okay, okay, okay. So, yes, uh, Kevin Williamson extravaganza very yes. exciting yeah. and you know i was reading in the pages of fangoria back in the day that williamson had this movie coming up called i know what you did last summer and even better like i was such a nerd it was uh, i was such a nerd back in the day that i would scour magazines like entertainment weekly and fangoria and anything of the sort for any I man, I would go to movie theaters and look in the credits blocks of movie posters. I'm not making this up to see if any of the films that were coming up or that were out were based on pre-existing material. And then I would run to my local Walden books. I'm totally dating myself with that name, but my local Walden books and I would seek out that book and read it. So okay. the idea that the guy who wrote Scream was writing another slasher movie and <gasps> It was based on a book, you know, I was, I was mm -hmm. over the moon. So I, I got to my local Walden books and I put in an order for Lois Duncan's. I know what you did last summer. I got it in a few days later and I read it and I absolutely loved it. But I, I thought I was like, wait, number one, <laughs> this is not a slasher story. No. Number two, how the hell do you do that ending on film? And the answer yeah. is you don't, you don't. Um, but I loved it. I absolutely adored that book. And then when the movie came out, you know, I, 
it took me about five or six minutes into the film to realize that the movie was not going to be the book, that these were all the same characters, thankfully, but mm-hmm. it was a new kind of situation. It was going to be a new villain. It was going to be a new look, new feel. It was going to be a slasher. Uh, and you know, and I just kind of rolled with it and I got to tell you, I absolutely adored the film so much so mm-hmm. that I, <laughs> I adored the movie. I adored the book. And when I was in the position to, I pitched my high school during my senior year, oh my I gosh. pitched them on the idea of writing the school play and they were like, okay, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to base it on this book. And I was like, everybody knows the movie. I want to do the book. And I leaned hard on the idea that like, uh, so clearly the kids were drinking and driving and this is all about the, the fallout of that. Like drinking and driving is bad, you know? Um, and so I pushed that aspect of it and they were like, okay, great. So I wrote like this weird fusion where it was an adaptation of the book, but it was an adaptation of the movie. The fisherman's hook figured into it, but there was no fisherman. The ending of Lois Duncan's book was actually accounted for by splitting the two personalities of the one guy that he pretends to be into two separate characters so that there are two Uh killers at the ending, much like scream. Um, and Whoa. we were going to do it. It was going to be a thing. I actually, uh, I was having a poster made up. I'd snapped pictures of the cast. We had rehearsed. Everybody really dug it. Cool. Um, and then the teacher that we were working with, who was over no. that apartment, was just such a fucking monster. No. Um, I, okay. Let me, let me, let me take it back. Let me take it back. Let me take it back. I'm, no. I'm going too far. In the interest of being honest, she wasn't a monster, no, but it is. was just we we butted heads a thousand too many times over certain aspects of it to the point where i was like you know what i can't i can't in all honesty i can't do this anymore and so i left but when i left the rest of the cast left with me so there was no school play in 1999 oh <laughs> yeah so i literally i I, I created the play and then I tanked the play and I can't imagine that school ever allowed another student to take a whack at writing their school play. So that's my bad, Green. My apologies. But um, Jinx, that's a fucking incredible story <laughs> on all accounts. I can't, I can't believe I haven't heard it yet, but I guess we haven't done the subject. I was such a nerd that not only did I write the play, not only did I write that fusion, not only did I do all of that, but I even wrote the the William Castle, the burgeoning William Castle nerd in me, even as a teenager, wanted to do for showmanship, purely just doing something silly to, to have people really dig it. I wrote two separate endings for the school play. Genius. And depending on which showing like people would check out because we were going to do like a not just for the school, but we were going to do a running thing for a couple of nights. And, you know, maybe yeah, the kids parents would show up and watch it. Maybe the, the community would show up and watch it. But the idea is that, OK, if you show up on one night, we're going to have one ending. But if you show up on another night, we're going to have a completely different ending. And don't you want to see them all, folks? So that's great. That's the ge- wow. You had creative integrity as a child. And uh, I don't think anyone else can claim that. So I think that's fucking great. Do you still have it? Do you think? Could you still I, find okay, it? So, yes, I do. Unfortunately, it is in a box somewhere. Uh, I did come across, I recently went through a bunch of stuff that I have in boxes up North in a storage unit. And I found it. I found that copy of that script and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, And I did look through it and I was like, you know what though? Like I was looking through it and I was like, okay, some of this is really, really not good. 
Like, and oh my clearly God. I did not understand how plays oh, are supposed to work because I had seen changes like every five pages. And I'm like, that's, that's a whole lot of closing the curtain. That's a whole lot of this and that. Like it would have been, fine. it would have been a disaster, but some of it, I was like, you know what? I think I figured out a pretty damn neat way to realize Lois Duncan's ending. I bet you did and make it work. Jinx. So this is a, this is the development hall podcast okay <laughs> do you think that there is a world where we do a bonus episode where we do a staged reading of it because <laughs> it would because think about it. it it was a play that was in development and then got shut down development health style but it's also based on a horror movie slash book it's perfect subject matter you got it we got to talk about this. I am completely fine with that. I just have to lay my hands on that script again. It's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Oh God, we could get Allie to be in it too because she's so talented. Allie would be awesome. She's got to be Julie. Wouldn't she be so good? She would be she, amazing. Allie could be Julie. I don't know. Uh, this we got. Okay, so we'll talk about this off air. Everybody, this is in the works. <laughs> I know just summer uh, the show. It's happening here on Development Hell. Um, that's a pretty iconic origins with i know what you did last summer and um, my and I, uh, my fandom yeah. continues in in bizarre ways even to this day so i mean listen me too i know you did last summer this will age me up and down was the very first horror movie i ever saw oh nice. um, 1997 halloween i believe my mom and i rented it I, I finally like got her to rent me a horror movie and it could only ever happen on halloween and i had to make my choice wisely and it was i know you did last summer and i have no i yeah i haven't really looked back ever since horror has been my jam i think you chose wisely there that is i know what you did last summer i would think is wonderful gateway horror oh it was it was literally perfect although i remember then it i had a whole year where i wasn't allowed to rent a horror movie again and then (laughs) halloween 1998 i rented less of a great pick we did disturbing behavior and i know some people have love in their heart for it but i do remember at the time it was, it was a bit of a letdown you know you get one horror movie a year and that's what you pick that's you know? that's we got to talk about that more one day but um no disturbing <laughs> behavior is from what i've read about it and from what's clear on all the home video releases of it is that that was going to be a much more ambitious, like much more thematically sound movie. And then it sounds mm-hmm. like the studio came in and they just, you know, removed it up large a swaths of it. And then they gave it a, a more upbeat ending. And it just, and it wasn't kind of so a bummer. horror though. I feel like maybe it was marketed a little too slasher E and it wasn't. Oh, totally. Yeah. Delivering I mean, on that specifically. It was totally like they had something that was going to be like, Okay, let's make something like, uh, I mean, not exactly, but let's make something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or the Stepford Wives. But let's Mm -hmm. set it in high school. Let's do the teen version of that. And it's like the studio, rather than allowing the director, who was, I believe, uh, an X-Files director at the time, was David Nutter, I think, maybe? Uh, Rather than let him doing the smartest possible version of that, they went with this lowest common denominator thing like, well, the kids Mm -hmm. all love Scream. Let's make it feel like Scream. And it's like, one, Scream is great. But two, that's not what this is. And I think in trying to change his vision, they they obviously they uh, it seriously damaged the film. And, you know, and then you get all the trailers that's like, you yeah. know, let, let's just focus on all the action. Let's set it all to flagpole sitter. And, you know, it's just I don't know. But I, I would absolutely revisit it, though, now that I like have less I, expectations and the cast iconic. 
Yeah, I don't think that actually, even in its trunketed form, you know, uh, uh, the cut up form, it's, I still think it's a fun movie. And uh, I will, you know, my inner 17 year old will always have a crush on, uh, on uh, goth Katie Holmes. So goth Katie Holmes. I know. Listen, Katie Holmes, love you, babe, but like never up to snuff with, with her peers. I'm sorry. Like everyone else of that era, like Oscar worthy babes like michelle williams all of them but then there's katie holmes and all i can think about is her performance and don't be afraid of the dark and i'm sorry it's yeah, just not but, working but, but to be fair don't be afraid of the dark like katie holmes is not the worst thing about that movie <laughs> i know i i was so excited for don't be afraid of the dark to come out and um it just uh it's not what i needed it to be and that's okay because that's fine. Before we get deeper into discussing I Know Each of the Summer, the original film series, I want to have like a little bit of a chit chat about Mike Flanagan because we're going to get into him and his co-writer's vision of I Know Each of the Summer. But before then, I'm just wondering like, what's your relationship with Flanagan? Like, are you a stan? Do you have specific uh, properties that you like more than others? Where are you? I really love Mike Flanagan's work, and I especially love the work that he and uh, uh, writer Jeff Howard do together. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is before Netflix, right? Yeah, oh, no, they did well, Gerald's Game. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because... So I think Flanagan wrote and directed Absentia himself, and that's mm-hmm. a great first feature. And then Oculus, I think, is when they started writing together and then Flanagan was directing. I love Oculus. They did this movie called Somnia, uh, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, there was a a great trailer that played in a lot of theaters. I I remember seeing like the the I I forget what it played in front of maybe the visit or something like that. But it was going to be a big theatrical film and then it became Before I Wake and then. It basically just went away. And I remember yeah. I wound up importing a Canadian Blu-ray because it wasn't available here in the States and it wouldn't be for about a year Represent. after uh, it would, uh, it went to Netflix and it's funny, uh, Zena Dixon, my friend down here, uh, mm. her husband and I worked together and cool. I remember bringing him. I was like, and I, I had not even met her at this point, but it was like, yeah, my wife has kind of like a following online. She's like huge in the horror. I think you guys would, uh, would be like best friends if you ever met. And I was like, oh, that's neat. And I remember watching Before I Wake, which I absolutely adored. And that movie destroys me. The ending has, it turns me into a sobbing mess. And uh, I just it's think it's brilliant and beautiful and mm-hmm. uh, a- incredible work. And I remember taking that Blu-ray into work and I was like, Rico, you have to make your wife watch this. Like, oh, cool. And so he <laughs> came back cool. like two days later and he was like, yeah, good call. So, Oh, that's uh, fun. Um, yeah, we love her. She was on this podcast. We did uh, the fourth Candyman movie together. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, love Zena. Love Zena to bits. And uh, and then from there, you know, I I remember hating the original Ouija, but I okay. just because it was Flanagan, I was like, okay, so this is Flanagan and Howard. Kind of, are they selling out? Are they not? I guess we'll see. You know, and I went to the movie theater and I watched Ouija: Origin of Evil, and I was like, Bam. so that was great. Uh, that was uh, a perfect horror movie. Loved it. It was it was such a marvelous like spook show of a horror film. It was creepy, Perfect. scary, fun, wonderfully cast. 
Uh, yep. It had that great, it did that retro feel in such a way that felt Awfully. genuine when a lot of movies feel like they're just kind of aping. Oh, no one does it well. Let's just, uh, it, let's throw it, it some film well. grain and, you know, let's do mm-hmm, the old mm-hmm. logo at the top. And instead it was just like, well, we're going to do that, but we're also going to make it feel like it was actually of that era. And by God, they did. Uh, Gerald's game, with the exception of that not great last final shot, uh, it, yeah. I think it's a marvelous movie. Uh, it's great. And it's it was a, so good. I think it was around that time that it was said that they were going to be remaking. I know what you did last summer. And I just remember thinking oh, okay. like, okay, that's an interesting choice. What are they, are they going to yeah. update Julie and the gang? Are we going to get another telling of it? Like what, what is the deal here? And, it was interesting. Uh, yeah. And it just, what I guess it was just one of those things where I was kind of waiting and waiting and waiting because I'm a huge fan of the series and you know, that I just, they, they never said anything more about yeah, it. Yeah, it just never happened. I remember there was some article in Arrow in the Head in, around 2017 where they were like, yeah, it's not happening. And it, I was so heartbroken because I, I also, I almost think I have more love in my heart for this than I do for Scream just for nostalgia reasons. I so get I was it. really gunning for it. I get it entirely. Uh, but his work since then, too. I mean, um, Haunting of Hill House is just m- marvelous. It, it, um, his director's cut of Dr. Sleep, I think, is a masterpiece. And <laughs> Midnight Mass might even be, you know, I go back and forth. I'll, I'll just say this. Midnight Mass is a masterpiece, too. Midnight Mass is like his best television work. I think Dr. Sleep is all his right, best all film right. You work. know what? I've put up with enough today. You haven't even mentioned Bly Manor. You haven't even brought it up, which is, uh, I think, the one that I've imprinted on the most. Really? Since okay. Since... See, I got I to gotta yeah. tell you something. I have only seen the, uh, the opening episode, and I liked it. I really did like it. Okay, well, how dare you? But it, I didn't I didn't finish it, so I can't really I'm not please, saying it's good, I'm not saying it's bad, it. I'm just saying I haven't seen it. I I think it gets a bit lost in the shuffle because of Hill House, but it's so beautiful and it's so tragic and it's just such perfectly made TV. I I couldn't recommend it more. It, as a Hammer fan, I think you'll find a lot to love in it. It is, it's so good. And there's one episode in particular near the end of the season where they do kind of like a black and white origin story of the antagonist. And it's so scary and so good. And it's the one episode that stars, um, is it Kate Siegel? Kate Siegel, who is marvelous. And, you know, shame on us both for not mentioning Hush. Which Oh my God, how dare us. Oh, hang up right now. Yeah, it was, you know, it was a, it was small. It was obviously an earlier work for him and, and it felt sort of like a demo of what he could achieve and God, is it good. But what are we, okay. So yeah, we're both fans. Are, are we Flanagan fans or what are we, are we, are we Fanagans? Are we Fanaflans? <laughs> like how does, how does that work? Are we Stanagans? Uh, I don't. No. I don't know. No. <laughs> okay, we're gonna get. We're gonna figure it out by the end of the Flan- episode. Flanistans? No. Flanistans? Um. F- Sounds like Flanaman. Flanaman. I, I think that we're gonna have to just trust ourselves that it'll come up eventually. Yeah, we're we're both fans. For me, it's Bly Manor. If you had to pick one property, TV show, movie, anything, what's your number one Flanagan? Mm. It's Bly for me. Probably Dr. Sleep. How, the director's cut. 
So have we talked about Doctor Sleep before? I feel like we have. I don't. Do you know uh, where I stand on it? I don't. I don't. Tell me. I hated it. I hated okay, it. Okay. Did I'm you watch so... theatrical or no, did you and, go and, directors? Yes. So we have talked about this. No, it was only theatrical for me. Okay, Josh. Here's the thing. I that was I was so pumped to watch that movie. I I rewatched. Uh, I went to my local theater when they ran The Shining for like this one night special in 4K. It was amazing. Nice. Uh, I'm a huge fan of The Shining, uh, both movie and book. Uh, mm-hmm. Me too. That trailer for Doctor Sleep, the, just the trailer, was one of the best mm. movies I saw that year. It's and, a good trailer. Uh, <laughs> I I went opening night to watch Doctor Sleep, fully expecting to love it. And when I walked out, I was like, "Yeah, it's fun. It's okay. It's, you know, it okay. was so it's, boring it's and bad. So- I'm mad. No, I'm okay. Sorry. Here's what's crazy: is that you're 100 right. The two and a half hour long version of that oh movie drags and is kind of dull. You now here's the crazy thing: is that the 30 minutes longer, the three hour long no. director's cut moves Fuck. like a, moves like a bat out of hell. Okay. It the the pacing is improved. The performances like there's so many bits like just it everything meshes perfectly. It it's you know it, it's like an a car like an engine that has a couple of cylinders that aren't firing properly when you watch the theatrical cut and then you know you you get to the director's cut and you've got more in there sure but now everything works properly historically your takes i have agreed with so this is something that i may have to endure but i have to say i'm not excited because i i I remember me and one of my best friend Emily saw it in theaters and it was just like super snooze fest galore. You should seriously, you both should sit down, watch the director's cut, and I would put good money on you both mm-hmm. not merely liking it, but loving it. I, I listen, I trust you. So one of these days it's gonna happen. They did great work with the lady in the bathtub. I thought every time she was on screen, it was really scary. They oh, really yeah. achieved greatness with that and I, I i'm such a dick for not remembering her name but um the actress that they cast as wendy from starry eyes holy oh, crap um, alex Esso. oh my god that was genius that was so good she was um, scary good as wendy what the that. fuck and i'm never i'm not the kind of person where you have to look identical to the person you're playing to work but she did and it really worked yeah um i it she, I think, I could buy immediately as uh, Wendy. I gotta say, Henry Thomas as Jack, pretty cool. Took uh, yeah, the first, oh, did okay. it take you out of it? I, I thought it was cool because he. I think we only see him initially, like at the bar, and there's just there's an aspect to him where uh, he he looked like a dime store version of Jack Nicholson in that moment to me. And so it took me, I, it, the scene did not work for me because that was the first time I saw it. Now, later in the movie, when he is stalking down the hallway, like when they do that flashback and he's carrying the axe yes. and it's daddy, yes. you know, um, <laughs> that I was like, oh, okay. He nailed it. So weirdly. And plus I think it was the pitch of the performance in that moment where I'm like, this is not Jack. This is not Jack. This is not Jack. And then I think it took me until that second viewing when I realized like, Okay, much like Lloyd, the bartender before him, like he's not Jack anymore. He is an agent of the hotel. Of the hotel. So he's not so wide-eyed, scary. crazy, loud, silly Jack. He is much more muted and sinister. Mm. And I'm like, and it, as a result, it worked like gangbusters for me. And I was like, oh no, he's actually great in this role. 
he and he's good in other Flanagan stuff too. He's he was in Hill House, right? But oh, he's yeah. great in Bly Manor. He he's just so good and aged like a fine wine. If you're okay with it, I'm going to hop skip back to I Know What You Did Last Summer. Because before we get into Flanagan's version of events, I kind of feel like I want to unpack the series as a whole just a little bit more. We were talking about your um, affinity for the book. Lois Duncan and and you, have you read anything else by her? Are you a stan? Yes. No, I, I, do, I have not read a lot by her, but I've read enough to know that I am a fan. What's crazy is is that I am currently recording in the same town that she sadly passed away in about six years ago. Um, I moved down here in late 2017, uh, Mm -hmm. only to find out not long after I did that Lois Duncan basically grew up in the town next to this one. Oh, you could have interviewed her for sure. Oh, it would have been like a dream come true. Um, she moved, I want to say, out west for a time and then eventually moved back to Florida to the Sarasota area. Uh, and then she passed away in 2016 here. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would love to have met her to shake her hand to tell her what her book and, you know, her work means to me. Um, she is, you know, she wrote a lot of young adult stuff, but she also wrote a true crime book that was an investigation into her own daughter's murder. And uh, I've read, have you read it? I have not. I have not. I'm sorry to say. It's interesting. Uh, it, the the the, the whole scenario of her daughter's death, very bizarre, very fascinating. Um, the book, I think it's called Who Killed My Daughter? Or yes. Who yeah. My Daughter? Yeah. It's, and, and surprisingly enough, BuzzFeed did a really in-depth uh, investigation of the whole scenario. Really interesting read if you don't have time for the whole book. Yeah. I mean, um, check that out. Yeah. And I think there was a follow-up, too. I think she did write, like, an updating years and years later, but I I don't think there was anything ever definitive that was found out about the case. Yeah. There's some problematic elements to to the book, too, just because the era was different, and there was some, um, I think she believed it was, like, a Filipino gang that was involved, possibly, with the death of her daughter, and so there was some, like, racial issues with the book that I will not hold up reading it now. But it's all extremely fascinating and would make like a really interesting true crime podcast or even maybe like a limited Netflix series because it was never solved. And it's really, really strange. Hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, And I wish, you know, I wish more of her work would get adapted. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of great stuff. She has a line of, yeah, like, well, yeah, I mean, that's killing the thing Mr. Is, <laughs> I remember watching that back in the day because <laughs> Me it too. was her and um not not the moment. Although I think that's another Michelle Williams joint. Oh my goodness, was that I can only remember uh Jonathan Brandis so. doing the big villain monologue and Oh uh, yeah. Was that Killing Mr. Griffin or uh, there was another one too um Oh fuck I've did been I complete waiting them for you or something? You know, that might be it. Uh, I think that where he has got like these weird talons in it. Is that sound right they're all the same it's fun <laughs> um damn it now i can't remember um no okay <laughs> killing mr griffin had um like amy joe johnson in it and mario lopez so is amy joe johnson was she from scrubs uh no amy joe johnson was i mean she might have been she started out in uh she was the pink ranger in mighty morphin power rangers and oh, she was in course. uh she was in felicity okay interesting yeah, there's a couple of those late 90s sort of Lois Duncan adaptations that get 
kind of combined in my brain. No, I get it. Although I remember loving the book for Killing Mr. Griffin as a child. Yeah, I mean, that could definitely have another take. And what's interesting, like, you could take her stories and do, like, direct adaptations, and they would be great, like, you know, gateway horror slash thriller stories, you know, for people. Or you could you could do the Neil Moritz. You could do the I Know What You Did Last Summer take and be like, okay, we're going to do Killing Mr. Griffin, but we're going to give it a hard edge. And it's, you'd, and you'd ha- I think you'd have to. Otherwise, you're going to get another, uh, what was that Kevin Williamson d- directorial debut? Teaching uh, Mrs. Tingle. Teaching Sorry. Mrs. Tingle, <laughs> which was originally Killing Mrs. Tingle, uh, which had to have been a nod to Killing Mr. Griffin, but they had to change right? it um, Definitely. after- why did they change that after it wasn't um, Columbine or something? It, yeah. Yeah. I think it was after Columbine. So I rewatched all three. I know what you did last summer films in preparation for this. Didn't have to do it, but chose to do it. And I stand by my decision. <laughs> I still know what you did last summer. It's not as good as the original. Where do you stand on it? So for the longest time, I actually despised the sequel Mm. i hated Mm -hmm. the sequel Uh, i saw it opening night and um i just i just hated every damn thing about it josh and uh i kind of held to that hate i let it nourish me for years and um eventually i i revisited it and i think i actually did it for uh one of my early columns uh long since defunct for bloody disgusting uh was called second chances and it was all about taking these movies that I hated and hadn't watched in years and basically giving them another shot. And I mm-hmm. watched I Still Know What You Did Last eh. I watched I Still Know What You Did Last Summer again uh, for the purposes of that. And I actually found some things that I enjoyed about it. I didn't hate it nearly as much as I had once before. And so, um, you know, I was like, okay, it's, is, is it good still? No, no, not at all, mm-hmm. but it's, it's passable entertainment. I can give it that. I sort of made my peace with it. And then during mm-hmm. the pandemic, I did an episode of my podcast, um, scream addicts, and it actually concerned, um, Oh, uh, the original, I know what you did last summer. So, <laughs> Yeah, and so it was great. We had a marvelous conversation about it. And uh, in the course of actually talking about it and having a conversation about, you know, the the podcast as we, or rather the movie that <laughs> we are now, mm-hmm. um, I, I was like, you know, maybe I want to go ahead and rewatch the first movie again, but maybe I want to go ahead and give the sequel another shot because uh, my guest, it was... Uh, Tamika Jones, she actually liked the sequel enough and she talked it up enough. I was like, damn it. Is there something else that I'm missing there? And so I watched it again and damn it. If I didn't love it, is it bad, Josh? Yes. Oh, Does it have all of its flaws, all of its flaws that I, <laughs> I pointed out and picked at when I disliked it. They're still there. Mm-hmm. But, but the now movie, you celebrate, you know, yeah. like, it has it, it's beautifully made. Danny Cannon uh, is the same guy who uh, who directed Judge Dredd. He shot the living oh. hell out of the movie. It has an amazing look. It has an amazing soundtrack. It has a murderer's row of like great recognizable faces to horror fans. Uh, great cast, M- marvelous yes. cast, top to bottom. Um, 
Honestly, yeah. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Uh, I, I, you know, teenage Jinx had a massive crush on her. I mean, there's no one hotter, right? Like, it's just the hottest. hottest okay, she was, I honestly watching, I still know, we did last summer, I, I don't know if she was ever more beautiful than she was in that movie. Oh, uh, I, I was watching that with some with my best friend. We were talking about the hotness of her in that movie. There's a scene where she's, I'm sorry to do this. There's a scene where she's undressing to go into the uh, sun bed, and it's like bonkers. It's like, whoa, what a babe. She yeah no she is she is absolutely stunning in that film um, and there's no Sarah Michelle Geller hanging around to distract me right like because you know I'm always <laughs> uh, gonna have to be SMG first but she's not around in the second one so what are you I gonna think do? that's fair uh, Brandy Brandy is beautiful too so oh, Brandy if it hadn't been for the time she killed someone with her car you know we would still be talking um, wait what I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna take that out but yeah I do think that she manslaughtered someone. Oh my god, what is the deal with like late 90s slasher movie actresses? They're all killing people, man. Yeah. Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, she she definitely manslaughtered someone real good. There's like Noxima, um, uh uh Urban Legend girl, and then Oh yeah, she murdered someone too. Wow, these murder oh no, because Brandy wasn't a murderer in the movie, just real life. Um yeah, it's true. There was an era where people were just getting away with murder left, right, and center. I, yeah, the second movie, it's fun. It's never boring. But me and my friends to this day are are still making fun of Ben's son. It is the stupidest twist, I think, in the history of any movie. And the way that they spell it out, being like, don't you get it, Julie? Ben's son? It's so stupid. I in my mind, and Paul Farrell and I, our fellow podcasters, he he and I have gone back and forth on this, and there in my mind, that scene runs for eighteen minutes. It, and it's, it's just, long. Do you get it? Do you get it? Ben's son, Benson, because but I'm Ben's make, son. But I. That's why ben, I made the name. The son of Ben. You. To say Benson, but it's actually Ben's son. I'm Ben's She's son. It's like, Will Benson. Bitch, I get it. Oh, hi, Dad. <laughs> and then he's like behind her. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you cut to like 15 minutes in and Julie is just nodding like, I get it. Could we get on with she's this? Like, Am I running? Like, you cut back to Will and he's got like a dry erase board with like, you know, a diagram. <laughs> it's like Charlie. It's like Charlie from, um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, from It's Always Sunny. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's the fucking... I, I stand because I, I would not erase us from history. I would not do that to us, but it's so stupid. You know, though, for the longest time, I was convinced that they sprung that on people at the very end. So it was not even you didn't even get the pleasure of being able to figure it out along with characters of being like, oh, of course, I should have gotten that right. And I was like, no, no, they just say it out of the blue. You don't even hear his name. But. On a rewatch, I did notice it during, and they kind of cheat, they kind of cover it up, but if you're watching and if you're paying attention, in the big bar scene, when Brandy and Mackay Pfeiffer are trying to hook Julie up uh, with uh, of course. with Will, there is that somebody drops his full name, they're like, Will Benson, you know, and yeah. Okay, I'm glad you brought it up, because that's the, the best scene in the movie, is the karaoke scene. It yeah, exactly. is, maybe that's a different one, but the karaoke scene, the f- also the funniest moment in, in horror history, where it says, I know you did that summer on the karaoke screen. How, how did he do that? How, how did, did he do that? He, and, and time it. And especially with 1998, 
karaoke technology. I, I just don't believe it, hun. Yeah, I, I don't mean, buy it. You know, that would be a trick even today to get away with that the way, you know, but no, it's <laughs> it's just awful. It's oh dead. my God, it's a stupid movie, but I love it. And I also forgot until this rewatch about the sun tanning scene always scary because not only do you have the fear of being burned alive but like the claustrophobia of it too and there's something really scary about um zip ties i don't know why but zip ties freak me out no it is is a creepy scene um and it's which is weird you know it's so confusing because you know it's jennifer love hugh in a bikini but also Mm -hmm. you know two seconds Mm -hmm. later she's in peril and i'm just like so many emotions so many confusing emotion boners yeah i agree very strange scene (laughs) i i stand i stand it though obviously not to the same quality of final destination three where they really go for it but pretty good i would use more of it uh, more there is, I love um, the look of the fisherman in the movie, especially when he, you know, when you watch him in the first movie, it's just kind of like, oh, there's a, a, a rough hewn fisherman guy. He looks like he's, you know, he's, he's got a tan. He's got like a, you know, yeah. a, kind of a five o'clock shadow going on. He's kind of a rough looking dude. And that's kind of it. Muse Watson, the way they have him made up at the end of um, Scary. I still know, like his hair is slicked back, but isn't like one of his eyes like yeah, kind of milked over he and looks weird. He looks kind of Frankenstein. It's he, scary. Yes, there is there is something very sort of uh, hammer horror in the presentation of mm. him, and mm-hmm. he's almost like it's almost like he's playing his own ghost. There's something almost spectral oh, about him at the I end. I love of it. that. I wish they had played with that a little bit more unlike the way they did it in i'll always know you did last summer oh shall we are we we jumping to the third one why don't we do it i i'm i think it's time because i don't think that our audience gets enough i'll always know what you did last summer content in their lives now i could i could be wrong but i'm making that judgment so I did rewatch I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer a couple of days ago because I love everyone that's listening and I would do anything for you, including that. When was the last time you watched I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer, Jinx? Uh, it was probably during that same time. I had only ever okay. seen it once when it came out. And I got to tell you, like, you know, those it, those felt like pretty great times in the mid-aughts where you could get those sequels to franchises mm-hmm. that you loved. And it's like, oh, here's this brand new thing. Awesome. And uh, I felt like that about I Know What You Did Last Summer, even though I was like, okay, Julie's not in it, so what's the point? But okay, The Fisherman is in it somehow, some way. Uh, You know what? I'm just going to go with it, and I'm going to hope for the best, and let's do this. And and that's my bad. So um, yeah, that was your biggest. It was a. It was an. It was a error. It was an error. Yeah. But it. I don't. Here's the thing. It does some interesting stuff, like. Yeah, I, I like the I'm, I'm not saying they're decisions that I agree with. But when we look back on slasher film history, it it's not without precedent that you could take a formerly mortal villain and then turn him supernatural, you know, at a certain point, like cough Friday the 13th cough. OK, fine. Uh, you know, the fact that they got a Michael Myers actor to play the fisherman in it. OK, they did. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, I think it was uh, Don Shanks who... Oh, wow. The Shank Man. He was was Michael on Halloween 5. Big dude. Um, Another highlight of of the series. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, and and then we have uh, Sylvain White who would go... What's weird is, is that 
He Who? literally went directly from I'll Always Know What He Did Last Summer to uh, the very next year he directed Stomp the Yard, which was well, a movie that did pretty damned well. Yeah, it did. It was a huge movie. I didn't realize that he did that movie. Mm-hmm. Good for him. And then three years later, he did The Losers for a pretty big cast. I don't know uh, that one. And then after that, like he did a did a film called Faces in the Crowd. And then in 2013, he did a film called The Mark of the Angels. And then I think he's mostly been in television ever since. The first one, uh, not the first one, Always Remember Last Summer definitely has a very TV energy to it. Yeah. I was convinced it was Canadian because the lead actress is Canadian. And um, this is not um, impressive, but I did go to high school with her sister. So that's always kind of really? been in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Nevins sisters. And she, uh, I think her name is Brooke Nevin, did a fine in it. She, she, she is not, I do not complain about her performance and Tori DeVito kind of does what she needs to do. She plays like the rocker chick in it and she's in literally everything. Um, She had lead roles in pretty little liars and vampire diaries. I think like at the same time. Oh, wow. Good for her. Um, Good for her. Yeah. So although I, <laughs> the 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 girl lead and the boy lead their names are amber and colby and that's just too egregiously 2006 for my tastes <laughs> we had amber colby zoe and lance oh lance come <clears throat> on buds i know and it's and there's like spiky blonde hair still it's like it's rough yeah i believe um, the same was lance benson benson do you get it are you joking you're joking i might be joking i might not there's no i mean you know what I'll you're never just, know. Uh, you're just I'll going never to... know. <laughs> I'm just going to have to accept this for what this is. I kind of like the idea of it being taken place in like a ski town in the summer. There is something kind of, I know what you did last summer to that vibe, but they, uh, you know, they don't fulfill on that vibe very well, but that's okay. That's fine. I, I yeah. kind of like you. I think I'm okay with it just existing. You know, there's something about the fact that there's a shitty third. I know what you did last summer just in the ether that I kind of am grateful for. And yeah, the final act, outrageous and kind of worth the price of admission to some degree. The big reveal of uh, Ben Willis as a zombie. As like, as like or, a cult uh, of sorts. Yeah. And then like, how is she he a ghost? Him. Is he a zombie? What is he exactly? What's What he's the a, fuck is going a, on there? He's a goby. <laughs> and that one shot of his face kind of scary for 2006 yeah no i mean it's it's impressive but it's just like you know in that moment that's when you and that that's maybe part of the reason that i well yeah i mean i i've got my reasons but that's one of the reasons that i felt a little cheated at the end was not only did the series go supernatural when it previously hadn't but you know Mm -hmm. it felt the entire time like you were watching a whodunit so it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be one of the characters that we know, and it's going to feel oh, like yeah. a big surprise. And then you get to that moment, and we still get a surprise, but it's also kind of a cheat. It's a total cheat, because yeah, the whole thing is a whodunit, and then it's just like, oh, I guess, no, it's not. It's a weird ghost movie. Um, I do like that the she she gets, she pushes him into like a tractor. That was kind of fun. <laughs> and he oh like bleeds. God. Everyone was like, why is he bleeding black goo? She's like, I don't know. Like, and his go- what is it? His ghost is connected to the hook that he previously carried. Right, because her, the hook is what, ki- like, she, sh- they, shooting him does nothing, but, but like, pricking him with a hook hurts him. So. And why did somebody get the actual hook? 
Like, come on, why? I mean, why not? I would. I'd be but like, but also, why? <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's true. And the opening scene is like the opening death is like really stupid. Someone like skateboards off of <laughs> off of a building. It's like okay, sure. Um, but I'm grateful that it exists. For a long time, I was like a little bit obsessed with it, just because like just the concept of like a kind of lost directed video. I know we did last summer is just so fascinating to me. I just wish that it had been a little bit more watchable. Um, someone online kind of compared it to the existence of urban legend Bloody Mary, and I do think they're kind of married. I think they're kind of related. You know, there a- is a one hundred percent. There is a uh, a company based out of. I think it's the UK. It's either the UK or Australia, but it's called 88 films. And they released this beautiful box set for all three. I know what you did last summer films and they're all Blu-rays, which weirdly enough, the third film had never gotten a Blu-ray before. I don't think it was a straight to DVD and nothing else. Mm -hmm. But yes, within this box you had, I know we did last summer. I still know. And then I'll always know. So you had the two theatrical films and then you had the third film, which was supernatural, had no connection to the two previous movies and had gone straight to DVD. And then a couple cool. of months later, yes, they put out the Urban Legend box set and it's the same damn thing. You have a third installment uh-huh. that is now supernatural when the, the franchise hadn't been otherwise has no connection to it whatsoever. Went straight to DVD. It's just, yeah, it's it's what is going on with those franchises. It's better, so better weird. Question: <laughs> Where is the Amazon Prime Urban Legends TV show? Oh my god! First, I was thinking about this very recently. Where is the Urban Legend franchise, Han? Where did you go? And yeah, <sighs> a, 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 a series would be great. Series, what? Like it's it's it just makes sense. It's just perfect. But yeah, where where is this franchise? We love this franchise. I'm sorry. I love the second movie. I I really am here for after all these years. I never, I never not don't have fun with Final Cut. I love the second movie. I think the second yes. movie is genuinely yes. just a damn good film. It's so, and it's so Canadian. It, it They film it at this like low rent Canadian university called Trent University. And it's just everything about it. I love. And then of course the first one, um, filmed at University of Toronto, where I went to school. So yeah, that's nice. fun for me. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a good film, and it you know it really proved I think <laughs> that John Ottman had a great eye. He knew how to pace a movie. He knew how to get good performances out of his cast. Uh, he could definitely craft a, a solid set piece. That is a guy who deserved to have a better career than he yeah as a yes. director. Like obviously he's a great you know, um, and it was successful too. Composer. I'm assuming. It got it got a couple sequels. Yeah. Wait, are you talking about the di- wait wait wait? He directed the he directed Final Cut. Uh, yes, he directed the second. Oh, Jacob oh, oh I see. Yeah, no, that didn't so. do that good. Um, although I love it, I love when they're like, there's so many set pieces in that that are just so funny and silly. Like at the end where they're on the ride, and it's just like so good. I love the. That. Uh, I love that they're all nerdy film students. So like, Me too. You, you can sort of connect to those. The. Uh, one of my favorite bits, Anthony Anderson, I think, who at that period was pretty oh, okay. annoying. I thought he was actually a lot of fun in that movie, but uh, I the, forgot uh... that he was in it. That's so funny. <laughs> I forgot, and I can, and now I can see him on the poster too, as like a little baby. And Ava Mendes, get... early Ava Mendes. So yeah, and the girl from Once Upon a Time slash How I Met Your Mother. Oh my goodness! Lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, I prefer it to Scream Two in terms of sequels that take place at film school. <laughs> Oh Josh! Okay, no, I take. I have Josh. to cut that. I I honestly will have to cut that out because people will unsubscribe in 
as uh, in masses. I'm gonna have to leave. Um, although I have to say, Scream Two least least favorite of the Scream series. Oh, watch it again. Oh, watch it again. Maybe you're right. The and you know what? Okay, I'm just so mad about, about the underuse of Sarah Michelle. The Sarah Michelle Geller underusage is disgusting to me. That is not a cameo. That is just uh, that is just a waste. That okay. is just environmental but, waste. But the flip side of that is, look at it this way. Mm. Imagine if you're Wes Craven, and I'm not saying this happened. I'm just saying imagine this. Imagine you're Wes Craven, and they said, hey, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is really hot. I know what you did last summer. had this great actress in it. We really want her to have a cameo in this movie. And what if Wes Craven was like, you know what? We're going to do more than that. We're going to give her more than a cameo. Like, it, it was only ever meant to be a throwaway character. And instead, Literally. they built Literally. they built an amazing like horror set <sighs> piece with her, and she acted her socks off. Well, of and course. it was incredible. Of course, like, I that, don't is, know. that is that is. I don't know. I'm so sequel. mad about it. It's a great thing. It just feels like I wish it had just been. I wish it had just been in the classroom. I wish that it had literally just been a cameo because I think that would have not rubbed me as terribly and as a theater school alumnus uh the greek theater stuff is so cringy oh god i love it i love it so much is, <laughs> it, is it remotely realistic no not at all but that is like and th- was was he there is he in there like is, is she imagining him or is he there i i, I really so. don't know i think i think we're meant to well it's meant to be a question right like we're we're not no, sure but I honestly don't i don't think as otherwise grounded as those films are as much as they can be and you know as as realistic as they're trying to be again within their world it's not like anybody is imagining their dead father talking to them exactly as they would have been before they were born um but you know as grounded as the second movie tries to be i can't imagine that mickey or billy's mom are actually flitting about within all those actors that just doesn't what the fuck i think although i think it just shows that you know, Sydney is in like a really vulnerable point. She's literally seeing him everywhere. And, you know, she she's starting to have like a breakdown. But what's great is, my God, like that scene with her and David Warner and that sort of inspiring speech that he gives her, which is undercut with a little bit of humor at the end. Like David Warner, who's that? Um, he was the uh, the drama teacher, the. Uh, oh, okay. when she says, you know, she says something like, yeah, I'm a fighter. And he's like. I don't believe you. And she's like, I'm a fighter. And he's like, I, I just don't, you know, and then like her, you know, her jaw like clenches and her eyes go hard. And she says, I'm oh, a fighter. Like she believes it, you know, uh, it, it just, so, so many great little moments like that. I, I adore. And plus I think Craven shot the living hell out of it. There is no, well, I won't say there's no, like he, he bested it himself. I think with the Casey sequence in the first film, but yeah, one of the greatest, purely oh, I, intense oh sorry can i guess what you're gonna say yes in terms of okay i'm sorry to interrupt you but i think there's two possible outcomes for what you're about to say either the opening or the cop car cop car yeah the opening the is great scene. the opening is awesome but the cop car is i mean that's just <laughs> a, a director at the top of his game directing the yeah. living hell out of the sequence it's it's one of the best sequences in yeah, horror, actually. You're right. It, it, really amazing. Really scary. One of the scariest moments in the series, for sure. Uh, I've got to revisit it. I don't know. I've always just had a 
a contentious relationship with Scream 2. And why is that so wrong? Um, uh, okay, before we move on it's, it's, towards... I, I, talking about oh, being yes, contentious yes, yes. about Scream films, I just want to say, I want to take two seconds. If anybody out there loves uh, Scream 5, I, I'm sorry for being so bitchy about it. Um, but it's just... No, it's a safe space. Trip. And I and I do want to say, I do want to say, uh, when it comes to Radio Silence... I really love their uh, their shorts for the VHS movies. I really oh, so good and Southbound. I think right? yeah, Southbound. I think that <sighs> Devil's Do is a genuinely underrated movie that's far more clever and inventive Never than seen. it's given uh, credit for. Mm-hmm. And I mean, come on, Ready or Not is just superb. So. Uh, okay. Uh, so my theater, I, I'm one not... of my theater school teachers is in that. Can I impress you with that? Really? The older lady, yeah, the older lady, like the grandma or whatever. She's like with, with the, the uh the scowl, you know. Yeah, she, yeah, 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 yeah. She taught me theater. That's so. Nikki she was in a. Uh, she she's was, in Cube. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. I I looked yeah. that up and I was like, oh my god, she's amazing in that. She was also in one of my original plays called Sycorax and the Angel, very 2011. So I'm famous. Love um, it. Thank you. Before we move on into the Mike Flanagan, I know what you did last summer reboot. The reason that we're all here. I'm wondering, have you seen the Amazon series? Do you know what you did last summer? Amazon series. I have, yeah, and it's um, yeah, here, here. Okay, I the most diplomatic way that I can say this is that I ultimately it was not for me, mm-hmm. but I will Big say same. this: I watched every damned episode. I was there okay. waiting for every episode to drop every week on Amazon Prime. I could not wait to see the new one. So, you know, they they did that right. Uh, I do think the lead performance is terrible. Oh, I liked her quite a oh, bit. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, I thought I thought I was with you on that one. Oh, no, I hate her. I, you know what? I, I can't speak. I saw like three episodes. It, it really wasn't for me. Can I ask a spoiler question that I think I have the answer to? Uh, sure. No, no fishermen at all? Uh, no, not remotely. What the fuck? Yeah, I get it, but like, also, like, no, you that no wonder you know you deserve a cancel because you obviously don't know why we love this series. Yeah, and it's not because of Hawaii looking so beautiful and the honey, which is stupid. But the honey, I did not get, especially like that was part of the marketing. I remember seeing the uh, yeah poster for the yeah, first time, and I was like, uh, what? What the? F- what they thing? look like they're covered in jizz. It's really weird, and then. Do you know Creepy Duck Design? Yes. Yeah. He had done all of these amazing... They had hired him. Amazon had hired him to do all these amazing sheets. I remember those. They were great. They're so good. And then they fucking drop it for the the honeycomb poster. Oh, God. I remember somebody actually uh, put together this meme. It was that poster. And then it was like a shot of Jerry Seinfeld's character from... uh, (laughs) I, was it a bee movie? Oh, I bee think? movie? And it was, so <laughs> yeah. it was a picture of the bee, but it looked like he was in the throes of ecstasy because his mouth was open <laughs> oh, and his no. eyes were rolled back. And so <laughs> literally one went to the other and it's like, oh, okay, that's that's rough. That's but, funny. That's funny. I, I I like that. That's going on the feeds. But no, um, uh, Madison Eisman, her lead performance, I thought she was ugh. quite good. Um, I no. You know, I, I really liked parts of it and you know they got craig william mcneil to direct the pilot i think he he did uh the boy not the creepy doll movie but the other one about the burgeoning oh the good killer. the good the boy actually uh, i like the creepy doll one fair enough I but, did, okay I, interesting i like them both uh he did the first season of channel zero candle cove which was superb. hell yes 
very good. So he was, you know, it, there are aspects oh, of they got the TV Channel show. Hero. That's what they did. Yeah, there are, and I and I know that like the, the film, the original film series, is not doing the book real justice. And no, I, no, no. And I can see why they had the right to go in any direction they wanted. But I, I think that they fucked up not going horror and not going fisherman. I think that that would have done a lot better for them. I so you've only seen the first three episodes, so you don't even know who the yeah. killer is, right? Can you tell me? I I could, but I don't think it would mean anything to you until you watch. Is, the are show. they like not like? Are they like not in the first few episodes? Or something? I, no, they are. I mean, it's it's one of the friends, but it just is it the friend that gets her hair cut. Yeah, yes, I think so. It's the Brianna Brianna Shoe, I believe, is the yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, her, yeah. I, <clears throat> uh, that makes no sense. Yeah, that means that means nothing. To, I I have no idea how that could be the case. But she what she wants to be more internet famous or something, and her getting in the first episode they like get her and her family to do like TikTok dances together, and that's when I fully checked out. Yeah, and she was okay. They and. <laughs> Was she in the Scream show? Or I'm sorry if I I honestly don't know. Uh, I know that she um, that was good. I know that she had to utter the word mukbanging, and oh, when she did, no. I was just kind of like. Uh, and plus, not for again, you know, I don't want to, no, no, I don't want to no. piss on this show that much. Like I said, it's not for me. I know that there were some people who really dug it, and I think that's awesome. Yeah, people, I think every generation should have like their own. I know we did last summer, and Sorry. exactly. <laughs> But when she, I, honestly, if I never hear the word sus again in my life. <laughs> We're too old. It'll be, We're too, it'll old be too old for soon, that bullshit. So. <laughs> and whoever wrote that was also too old for that bullshit, too. Um, and that whole cast. Okay. I, I, will well, say, I will say, I will say, to that end, um, <laughs> I am hoping to interview the uh, the creator and showrunner soon. Uh, she was kind enough to email me back. I want to interview her about where the show would have gone in seasons two and three because there are some really I'd like to know interesting setups at the end of the first season that sadly now will never pay off. So, uh, and she's a very very nice, very sweet person. So, and she was great to get back to me. So, like I said, I'm I'm not keen on just bashing the show at length. I'll just say that like. You know, it's uh-huh. not my generations. I know what you did last summer, but that's okay because you know what? The 97 no slasher movie was not, you know, the same not, experience yeah. for the people who grew up in the 70s and 80s reading the young and adult novel. So that's okay. No. Yes, to each generation, um, there is a different slayer, and that's fine. Um, all right, we're here. We're excited. We finally made it to the main event, which is the Mike Flanagan um reboot the 2016 jeff howard mike flanagan uh reboot of it all and i know that you have written an in-depth phantom limbs article about it did you mention phantom limbs at the start of the episode today and what that means like what it is i don't think i did and you threw me there for a second when you said main event i thought we were we were down at the become but um uh, yeah that was uh that was that was the intro but yeah <laughs> i i feel like a lot of I think like most of the information on the internet about the Flanagan Jeff Howard project comes from your column on it. So I think for people that may not know, can you just remind us what uh, Phantom Limbs is? Yes. So Phantom Limbs is a column that I write for Bloody Disgusting, the horror website. Uh, it basically concerns the histories of unmade, unproduced horror sequels and remakes and the stories that they would have told. I was lucky enough to run across the screenplay out there in screenplay land 
uh, for I Know What You Did Last Summer. And I was like, oh my goodness, I would love to write about this. So I reached out to Jeff Howard on Twitter and he was kind enough to agree to chat about it. And so with the understanding that if I did write about it, he really, you know, and understandably so, Mm-hmm. Out of respect for him and for Mike Flanagan and for Neil Moritz, the producer, I agreed to synopsize as much as I think they would have been comfortable with without mm-hmm. delving into spoilers or how the story would have ended. Um, and so and then I, you know, Jeff Howard basically provided the entire history of how it came to be, how he and Flanagan came to be a part of the project. Uh you know, the fact that they worked on it, the story it would have told, why it ultimately didn't happen. And um, yeah, I was very happy to put that out into the world because I, as a fan, I really wanted to know what happened with that project and why it didn't go. And uh, I was just, I was very happy that I got to be the guy to sort of shepherd that story out there. So, I mean, it's truly like the, it's the only journalism that I need on the internet is is this. <laughs> and, and honestly, Phantom Limbs in general, we're big fans here at development hell so um i've read it and uh, hopefully no one else has so this is all surprise info but i kind of was wondering if we could start off with the in your article uh jeff howard mentions that him and flanagan initially were saying no to the project do you remember why yeah so they were basically like look you know this is everybody knows the story you know it's Mm -hmm. what is the point of just telling it again so uh, and apparently they were kind of pursued. They had to kept saying like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that they weren't fans, right? Like, cause they, no, they, they, dug they it. liked it. Yeah. Yeah. They were, uh, I remember him saying like, okay, you know, look, it's no citizen Kane, but it's great. <laughs> no. It is a, I think his line was, uh, you know, he said it was really fun. You know, it's, it's a great time out at the movies, but he, he called it a rock solidly great time. You know, he's so right. It's exactly is, what yeah. it is. And that's, uh, you know, and I think as a result, the movie is, you know, it's unimpeachable. You can't really knock the film because everything that it wants to do, it does. And it does perfectly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they were. But So why, you know, if you acknowledge that the movie already kind of nails what it's doing, why bother telling that exact same story? So they kept saying, no, 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 no. And eventually, I guess they were kind of wooed over to at least taking a meeting. And... And this is Jeff Howard and Flanagan. Uh, yes, uh, Flanagan and, and Howard, Howard was going to co-write and uh, sorry, Howard was going to co-write and Flanagan was going to co-write and direct. Yes, yeah, much as they had on their previous uh, previous films, Flanagan was going to write or I'm sorry, Flanagan was going to direct, but the script would have been by the two of them as writing mm-hmm. partners. And so they both went in, and apparently, you know, uh, presumably Neil Moritz and uh, whoever else was you know, ultimately going to stand in for the studio or produce the film. Um, They basically pitched the writers like, Hey, why don't you just make up a story? You know, do whatever you want. If it fits with the title, I know what you did last summer, you know, and that kind of feeling, then just Mm -hmm. do whatever you want, make up whatever story you want to. And Mm -hmm. so when that happened, they were both like, okay, well, you know, that could be fun. Uh, we don't have to retread what's come before. We don't have to tell the story of Julie James and, you know, uh, the teenagers who hit somebody on a winding road. And, you know, uh, mm-hmm. we don't have to do the fishermen. We can just kind of do our own thing as long as it fits with, you know, the tone and the titles. So 
they kind of went off from there and they came up with their take. And it's funny in the course of interviewing him, um, there was kind of this rumor at the time that it wasn't going to simply remake the movie, but they were going back to the Lois Duncan novel. And I remember asking him that I was like, was that ever, you know, was that ever a thing? Was it ever going to go back to the novel? And he was like, we didn't even know the novel existed. <laughs> like we didn't even realize. And apparently poor Lois Duncan had contacted them uh, afterwards, you know, once wow. it came out in the trades and she was actually kind of giddy about it because it was reported to her that it was going to be close to the book. And he was, like, uh-huh. Oh, so he picked up the book and read it and he was like, Oh shit. You know, like it's impossible to do. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, the book is great. The book is fantastic. Uh, apparently he looked at some of her other, um, other titles that she had out there, hoping that he could adapt something else by her. But you know, everything is pretty much locked up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as he noted, you know, the, the thing about the book, the thing that you can't adapt is the damned ending, you know, and yeah. for, you know, we've talked about the ending, but really to sort of draw a fine line on it for anyone out there who doesn't mind spoilers for a 50 year old book. Um, the way I know what you did last summer ends as a novel is that you find out that two different characters in the book who have not had any contact with one another are in fact the exact same person. So you have this guy who's been pretending to be one guy with Julie, and then you have this guy who has been pretending to be somebody else with, you know, uh, Helen, and it's like it's the same dude. And you can only get away with that in a novel when you're not seeing the people. You can't get away with that in a visual medium. And so, uh, no, he was like, you know, we, we couldn't have adapted the novel even if we wanted to because there's no way to do that ending. Um, and so, you know, who knows what poor Ms. Duncan would have made of the, uh, the movie that resulted, but the outcome. Yeah. They said that they, she probably would not have been happy. No. Yeah. So they, uh, but apparently what they wanted to do, they wanted to do something in the vein of like Agatha Christie. Uh, they wanted to do something like, if I had to guess, I don't think he ever actually said any specific titles. He said it wasn't going to be like Poirot. It wasn't going to be Miss Marple. But if I had to guess it, you know, I could probably draw a line between their version of I Know What You Did Last Summer and something like, uh, you know, and then there were none, you know. So mm-hmm. it's the idea of like, okay, here's a group of characters and there's a killer. And now we're going to see the characters picked off one by one. And who's doing it? Uh, so total whodunit. Not really even that much of a slasher, even though there are some there's some grisly set pieces uh, in it. Yes. And which I love some of the there's one involving. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll get to it, but one involving lights and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you said LED like um, solar LED lights with little spikes on them. Or yes, something? that you push into the ground and instead uh, there's a there's a <laughs> poor character that gets dispatched with them uh, by having those driven into her, pinning her to the ground until she I love that she gets one so in the much. neck. So uh, you just one, or does she get like in other scary places and then the neck kills her? Yeah, I think it's like in her legs, in her arms, and then in, oh. her, in her neck. And what's cool is is that um, Jeff Howard actually noted that he had hoped if you know the movie got made that the teaser poster could have just been of those lights sticking up out of the ground at weird angles. Like you wouldn't see the body, but you would just see the lights 
that's cool. That's very and so, you know, you could look at that poster and be like, oh, what the hell is that? And then you watch the movie and you're like, oh, I get it. Shit. Cool. Um, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind if we could talk a little bit about what the plot with the basic setup for this version was. I know that they went with a different direction in terms of the lead character. They went with a guy this time around. Yeah, there is no. So in the original story that Lois Duncan told, and also in the 97 film, we have a core group of teen characters. It's um, Julie James, her best friend, Helen, Helen's boyfriend, Barry, and then um, Julie's boyfriend, Ray. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and those names felt old, even in 97. In a weird way, like how true Helen and Barry, Helen and Ray, and it's like, Ray, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, whatever, it's cool. But uh, I never thought about that, but that's so real. Yeah, yeah, and so like, okay, in the in the seventies, fine, but ninety seven, probably not. You know, would have been no. would have been a lot of Dylans around probably at that point. Yeah, uh, Rachels, Rachels, totally Rachels, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So in this one, they decided to flip it and, uh, make the lead a guy and his name is Matt Canton. And so our core group of characters are Matt, uh, his younger sister, Lauren, who's actually his, uh, uh, his adopted sister. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a guy named Kyle, who's his best friend. And there's Mm -hmm. Jenna, who is his ex-girlfriend slash kind of best friend. They, they elected before they, uh, you know, they exited high schools that were and graduated that, you know, life was going to pretty much split them up. So why not go ahead and do the mature thing and go ahead and break up then, but remain really good friends. And so, uh, so we still have a quartet of characters it's still summer, of course, uh, but instead of a, uh, you know, the Croker Queen Festival in North Carolina, uh, <laughs> they're actually in Antigua and they're doing this big like vacation. They're celebrating the summer after graduation, you know, before everybody goes off into the world and to college and they, you know, they split up as people do, you know. And um, so, yeah, you know, that it's kind of the similar setup. You know, we have a celebration, we have drinking in this case, there's drugs and, um, you know, inevitably somebody has to die to kick off the story. So that story, as it begins, Matt is having a blast. And I remember there's a sequence where uh, it's so weird, but Jenna, his ex, like they're still obviously kind of sweet on one another, but they're again, trying to do the adult thing and stay split up. So she starts eyeballing uh, potential you know, pickups for Matt, like, Hey, you should go talk to her or, Hey, you know, why don't you get out there and, you know, find somebody to talk to. Let's not just hang around together. And he gets the sense that, you know, she's doing it altruistically maybe, but also maybe she kind of wants to go find a guy and she can't do that if they're kind of Mm -hmm. attached to the hip and she's been eyeballing somebody at the bar. So he kind of gets up and walks away and goes out and he runs into a girl named Christy. And Christy is trying to escape from this, if I recall correctly, like this alpha male asshole type who was a little more, uh, he was a little pushy uh, when it comes to his interest in her. And she needs somebody like a good guy to step in and save her, basically. Right. Hmm. And so he does just that. And they wind up hanging out and they wind up, you know, getting kind of sweet on one another. And um, as night falls, they all head into this cave system where they have kind of a rave. Right. Mm -hmm. And his buddy, Kyle, 
tells him he needs to loosen up. He hands him like a beer or something. Matt drinks it. Thing is, Kyle tells him after he's down the beer that he laced it with something to loosen him up. And so he is not the moment. No, no, he is drugged basically. So uh, he and Christy go off into the cave and, you know, like there's, you know, as it's a cave system, there's like the, the main, we'll say like main cave where everyone's partying, but then, you know, there are these smaller caves that people can slip into to do naughty things with one another. And that's definitely what Matt and Christy are interested Mm -hmm. in doing at this point in the story. And what's crazy is there's this great sequence, the way it's designed, where the drugs really start to kick in. And so it's like, yeah, it's kind of a sex scene, but it's also hallucinogenic. And it immediately goes from this love scene to Matt being borderline tortured, I think, in a police station, like this Antiguan police station. And so you're dropped immediately into this horrifying situation, much like the lead character is, where he doesn't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on, but what we can gather, like he's covered in blood, you know, uh, the cops who, you know, are doing uh, pretty horrendous things like they're dunking his head underwater. They're trying to get him to admit that he killed this girl. And he's like, what girl, what girl basically. And it turns out poor Christy has been murdered and he has no recollection. He blacked out when it happened. And um, he's eventually extradited to the U.S. He's put in prison. And then one year passes. And it turns out that this case has really captured, like, the media's attention. You think of it like something like what happened back last fall with, uh, you know, Gabby Petito and uh, Mm -hmm. and her asshole of a boyfriend, uh, which, weirdly enough, uh, they tracked him down to, like, 40 minutes from where I'm currently sitting. Anyway, yeah. Uh, it was, it was a weird feeling to have that happening. And then like being like, mm-hmm. I could just run into this person potentially out there. Who knows? Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, in the same way it becomes national news, people become fascinated with the case. And that's kind of spurred on by the fact that there is a very, you remember how everyone was fascinated with serial, right? That podcast, yeah. the true crime podcast. Of course. Okay. So, <laughs> And this is uh, this this is where the title comes into play. You find out that Jenna, being an insider who was part of that group, has basically commanded a lot of attention from people who are interested in the case by starting up her own podcast called I Know What You Did Last Summer. Of course. And that is in part kind of based on. OK, so. Christy had a father who was actually like ex-military. He's a stern, like mean looking dude uh, who looks like he can handle himself. And obviously he didn't take too kindly to his daughter being murdered. And he believes that Matt did it. So he has kind of waged this media war on Matt and he's given speeches like he's hoping he's being put away for the rest of his life. And any time he gives a talk to the media, you think of somebody like uh, Ron Goldman's father. That's very much like who this guy seems to be uh, in, in his anger, but also his willingness to get in front of the cameras and continually call for justice. Um, what he generally signs off on is, you know, looking into the camera and saying, I know what you did. I know, I know what you did last summer. And so, mm-hmm. so yeah, it is, it is kind of like this mantra that keeps going through the film. It isn't merely a note that's, given once you know so one year later we come to the day of matt's big trial and this is this is this is it he's either going to be found not guilty or he's he's going to prison 
and he's actually found not guilty. So he starts getting, you know, very fisherman-like messages saying, I know, which makes one think that it's possibly Christie's father, a guy named, Mm -hmm. uh, did I say his name already? His name's Donald Stratton. And Stratton has a right-hand man who's this, like, uh, I don't know how you'd want to say him, but he's very sort of imposing and intimidating in his own right, and his name is Porter. So between Porter sort of uh, threatening Matt on Stratton's behalf, Stratton constantly hounding Matt, Matt is getting these notes saying, I know, I know, I know. On top of all of that, there appears a shadowy figure in a raincoat with a hood that goes over their head. So not quite the fisherman, but not not the fisherman. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? You know, it's Mm -hmm. just close enough that it's... uh, you know, it's kind of the a same vibe, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so you know, it's it's a little bit of a nod to the fisherman, but it's not the fisherman, right? And uh, mm-hmm. and then you know, all of a sudden, people start dying, and uh, there is this one. Uh, okay, this is a bit of a spoiler. I don't think anyone will <laughs> hate me for 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 saying this. This is something that I couldn't give in the article, but and I'm not going to give away the ending. I can't give away much more than this, but I will just give one little kernel uh, from the script that I read. Okay, so there's an early sequence where Matt is picked up by Porter, and Porter seems like this uh, kind of well-meaning figure. And then you find out, you know, he's going to give him a ride home. Matt was walking around. He's going to give him a ride home. It's raining. And you find out that Porter is actually Stratton's guy because he drives him out into the middle of nowhere. He pulls him out of the car. He roughs him up and basically tells him that he needs to come clean and admit to killing Christy. Right. So, yeah. So Porter is not a great guy. Now, at Mm -hmm. this point, the the hooded figure in the raincoat has been showing up. And basically not doing anything too crazy. Like, you know, the, there's the notes being left behind. The, the the hooded raincoat figure is kind of like lurking on the edges of the story. But then you find out during one of these uh, terrorizing moments, I forget, I think like maybe the figure throws a brick through Matt's window and it has the I know note on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out it's Porter. Porter is the figure in the raincoat. And you think, oh, so Porter is going to be the killer, like hired by Stratton to do. Mm -hmm. But then a killer pops up in shadows and basically in this amazing set piece uh, involving a car that is put in uh, put in drive. It's slowly rolling forward. Uh, I believe uh, I'm sorry, Porter's. I think Achilles are slashed. So he's crawling <gasps> away. And uh, yeah, it's, there's a messy end for him involving a car and like a, uh, Oh yeah. And it's like a slow crushing to death via car. It's yeah. It's something like that. It's, it's, cool. it's grisly, but then the killer basically takes Porter's hooded raincoat, uh-huh. takes it for themselves. And then they go off and then proceed to start knocking people in the cast off in Porter's raincoat. So the entire time when it's just Porter, you think that it's like, oh, this is the killer. It turns out that wasn't the killer at all. But now the killer is actually in the the what one imagines would be an iconic raincoat with the hood. So, okay. And there are like, it's not necessarily a slasher movie per se. It's not about people getting stabbed or hooked, but there are major 
very violent set pieces in the film. Um, there are a lot of red herrings. Like there are moments where it's like, well, clearly, you know, the killer is this person. It's not that person, you know, uh, there are mm-hmm. big revelations throughout. And then you get to the ending and the ending is surprising. Uh, definitely the, the big reveal as to who the killer is, is surprising. And then, you know, their, their motivation is sort of trotted out as you would get in a, in a whodunit like this. And then the story is resolved, at least in the script that I found. What's funny is, is when I mentioned this to Jeff Howard, he had an extra part of the story to tell, which was that, okay, and again, I can't, out of respect for them, I can't get deep in the spoilers, but let's just say that the script that I ran across had an ending that was fairly traditional, let's say, for a whodunit. Uh, you know, the killer is outed, they're dealt with, and then there's the resolution, and then that's it. That's the story. According to Howard, he and Flanagan wrote a much darker, way more fucked up ending than than the script that I read. And what had happened was that the studio read it and had a major issue with not only who the killer wound up being, but the final sort of like exclamation point to the end of their script, the final big twist, which by the way, is the kind of twist that people would have talked about for a long time. It would have been the thing that people would have gone back for second viewings of the movie. It's the sort of thing where you would tell your buddies, like, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you need to go see this movie before it's ruined for you. Right. Cool. And um, yeah, they just didn't go for it and they were told to soften it. And so they did. Of course. But unfortunately, when that happened, um, so too did Flanagan's interest in helming the movie kind of run out. So what happens is, is that Flanagan was going to direct. He and Howard wrote the script. And so he and Howard were told to water down the ending. And when they did, Flanagan was no longer interested in directing it. And so once you no longer have Mike Flanagan attached as a director, who the mm-hmm. hell cares anymore? And so it kind of falls apart yeah. and it fell apart, which is just this such a damn shame. So to me, like I'm those guys like, Oh, we're going to lose our director. Hey, maybe let's go ahead and let them do their damned ending. You know? Um, I wonder if this was also around the time where Mike Flanagan was really like taken off. And all of a sudden, this was kind of like a middling project that he no longer really needed. This, I think, if I have the timeline right, this is right before Haunting of Hill House. So this is right at that moment where everybody knows he's great, but he hasn't had that major breakthrough. like Hit? Yeah. Yeah. And then with, you know, and ever since, it's just been like, boom, 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 boom. So, um the king of netflix now yeah, yeah yeah i just wish we had physical media releases of his stuff is all oh i know one of maybe one of these days there is one aspect that we haven't touched base on that was in your c- column that i'm absolutely obsessed with which was uh, a certain cameo appearance i'm wondering if we could dig into that a little bit <laughs> yes okay so in the middle of the movie there's this great set piece and i did say that the movie isn't like it's not a slasher in the way that you would expect it to be a slasher. It is more of a whodunit. It is more of a thriller, but it is punctuated by these really violent moments. 
But there is one sequence that is 100% a slasher set piece. And so that moment involves this character who is basically the producer for the podcast. I know what you did last summer. So of course, even just being the producer of the podcast, having anything to do with this case, uh, you know, they get to be drawn on them by the killers. So there's this kind of protracted sequence where she is chased down and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> she is sort of knocked to the ground. She's crawling away. And I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, I should say too, the character's name was cat. Mm-hmm. And I'll go ahead and reveal who it was meant to be for anyone who doesn't know after, but um, yeah. So there is a sequence where she is knocked to the ground. She is crawling away. You have the raincoat wearing killer stalking after her and you have all of these solar lights i don't know if you're familiar with oh, it's called here we go the leds with the metal spikes that you press into the ground um, and so the killer pulls these up and drives these down into cat basically pinning her like a, a butterfly to the ground and so you know i think it was like legs arms and then one in the throat and so yeah, you know it's like you and i were talking about there was uh, jeff howard had this amazing idea for the poster where you would see nothing but the stakes in the ground with the lights on top, but they're kind of disrupted. There's, there's kind of, they're in disarray and you wouldn't quite know what the deal with that is until you watch the movie. And then you would be like, Oh my God, I know what that means now. So, okay. So yeah, that was, was this character. that okay. was going to be cat. That was the podcast producer. And the idea apparently that Howard and Flanagan had as to who should play cat would have been Jennifer Love Hewitt. They wanted her. Incredible. They wrote it for her. It wasn't going to be just a character, like a a, a character cameo, cameo uh, where she was just going to stride in from scene left and exit stage right, and you know maybe say hello to a couple of people in the meantime. Uh, mm-hmm. No, she actually it's a supporting role. She would have had a good couple of scenes. She would have had a little you know a meat to the role, something to do, and. Uh, you know, and then she gets to have her own, you know, that's something that we never saw in the original movie. She never, no. she was never killed by the killer in those movies. And this actually gave her a big murder set piece that she would have been, you know, put through. Oh, so, that would have been super fun yeah, to see. It would have been great. And it would have been a neat way to sort of tie it back to the original movies. Because apparently the idea that they had was, you know, Howard mentioned the idea of having a universe of these different movies called I Know What You Did Last Summer that do entirely different things with the title and the, uh, you know, oh. the, 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 the basic setup, you know? And so, and in a way that's kind of happened because if you look at the Amazon prime show, it's kind of much the same thing. The title is, I know what we did last summer, but the characters are completely different. The story is completely different. And um, no, I just, I kind of dig that idea, but having Jennifer love Hewitt cameo in it would have, uh, I think it would have been fun. The IKWY DLS Extended Universe. Yes, I believe it's pronounced Ickawittles. So Ickawittles Extended Universe. Cool. I love it. I like that they didn't go sequel. I like that they went a little more serious. It sounds like this really would have been, I don't know, it really could have energized this franchise in a way that might never happen. So it's a, it's quite a shame. You know, I I wish that. You know, and I did ask Jeff Howard about this. I was like, look, can you just call it something else and get it made mm. on its own? And, uh, you know, but the thing is, they wrote it for the studio. So the studio, I think, probably owns it. 
So, which is a damn shame. But again, you know, as big as Flanagan has gotten, they're just sitting on this great screenplay written by this guy. Mm -hmm. So I wish, you know, after, you know, Amazon prime show didn't go anywhere. I, I I wish something would happen with this. I wish whether it's, I know what you did last (sighs) summer or they tweak it a little bit where it's not, but it's still essentially the story that they were trying to tell. You know, they, they wrote a very smart, teenage noir you know and that's something Mm -hmm. that we don't see a hell of a lot of uh at least done very well and i think there would be an audience for this i i I wish it would still get made in some form and i gotta say in most cases you know when i do these articles at the end of it it's inevitably like i always follow up with the person i'm interviewing like so is there any chance that this will actually get made and nine times out of ten they're like nah probably not but in this case Considering how big Flanagan is right now, I feel like if he wanted to do it, he probably could at this point. Like, who the hell is going to say no to Mike Flanagan coming back to them and saying, like, hey, give us our original ending. Let us do what we want with it. You know, you produce. Let's go off to Netflix and everyone will be happy. Yes. Especially on a streamer where it feels lower stake. They could take bigger risks. Oh, 100%. And they would. And I will say that. It does, I get it. I almost get the studio's reluctance given how dark the original ending was meant to be, why they felt mm-hmm. it was going to be, you know, uh, uh, a hit. Me, I, I think it would have been, but I get their reluctance. If you put it on Netflix, then, you know, you, you, you shave 15 or 20 million off of the marketing and the prints and all of that jazz. And, you know, maybe now... Uh, yeah, you, you could take a bigger swing. I mean, you look at something like, uh, the recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre where, you know, I thought it was going to be a watered down slasher because it was on Netflix and then you watch it. It's like, son of a bitch. It's the opposite. It never would have gotten into theaters with an R with the amount of violence in it. Oh, you don't think so? I, I mean, it would uh, definitely not in the '90s. Uh, back when Jack Penelope no, was rocking no. MPAA. I mean, you, not to go too far off, but do you think it was more brutal than the 2003 remake? Because that was that was yeah brutal. I, it was, but that was. I wonder how much of that was, you know? The okay, time. because yeah, here's the thing: you think about 2003, that yeah. remake. It is brutal, but a lot of that, it, much like the original '74 movie, it's the tone. Like you don't that that's see, really scaring you more than the actual yeah because horror. you're not seeing bodies taken apart to a ridiculous degree in the 2003 movie whereas in the new Netflix movie I mean it's oh my god you see people yeah, yeah. impaled on chainsaws and blood spraying down on Leatherface as he charges up the chainsaw you see him take out a yep. bus full of people you he, there's a limbs. there's like a prolonged segment of him skinning his mom's face yeah skinning his mom's face and then and and the sound really goes for it it uh, there is so much on-screen violence in that movie that it was kind of astonishing to me and not even in a way like uh with you know Hooper's Texas Chainsaw 2 where it's done with this very sort of like, like charm yeah, yeah and dark comedy that, that kind of God, I love that leavens movie. it you know um yeah, there's the second one, although there is that skinning sequence in the second one that is br- gross. As fuck. True, yeah. true, gross, but again, not like not not mean. It's it's carnival geek show. There's a little bit of comedy to it that that sort of you know. But then you get to something like Jeff Burr's Leatherface in the early '90s, and they they cut the living hell out of that movie. Like nothing got thrown that one. It felt like I've never seen it. 
it's a good movie that was chopped to hell, which is, it's gotta be frustrating for a filmmaker like that. Or unfortunately, I mean, he's, he's gone now, but somebody like Wes Craven who had to battle the MPAA over notes, like we can't give this movie an R rating. The soundtrack is too disturbing. You know, it's like, <laughs> you. you know, I have seen the trailer though for number three in it. It's very good. <laughs> uh, oh my God. Yeah. It's one of the great teasers, but no, with the new Texas yeah. chainsaw, I mean, it's just, it's wall to wall violence and gore at points in that movie. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of astonishing to me. So, you know what, if you can take that kind of big swing on Netflix, there's no reason why Flanagan and Howard's, I know what you did last summer should be denied the ending that they want. And you're saying it was just, dark tonally it wasn't necessarily grotesque or anything no it's just no it's a revelation at the so you have the whodunit you get the resolution of that whodunit so you find out who did it basically uh Uh and then there's just this and then you know in the script that i read that was pretty much it it's like uh you know okay the story's over and good night folks and in their original ending it was just like an extra beat where it was like oh by the way and then boom, we're going to go ahead and pull the rug out from under you and everything you thought about the movie you were just watching. Was it like a sexual violence issue? No, no not remotely. Nothing like that. Okay. It's literally, um, it's just, it's a revelation about a character. It, and it's something cool. that was in front of you the entire story. And I know th- I, this sounds like I'm being such a tease on it. I'm sorry. Like, no, I, no, no. I, we're lucky that we've gotten what we've gotten. Yeah. But so. but so, yeah. So that's basically it where you get to the ending and everything resolves and the whodunit is, you know, you find out who did it and why, and they have their monologue as to why they did it. And then that person is dealt <laughs> with. And then, you know, your story okay. is done. And then there's just this one extra little kapow at the end and it's uh i'm not surprised it would have been devastating full of kapow i i I love being devastated by flanagan and friends so i'm really sad about this i guess this leads us pretty naturally into conclusion territory because you were saying it already because you asked him yeah in terms of jeff howard and he thinks maybe this could happen but do you think two questions do you think we're going to get a fisherman-esque i know he did last summer ever again and do you think it could be this um do i think it could be this no no i think the closest we would get you know the only interest they had was in doing kind of a light nod to who the fisherman was by having somebody in a slicker with a hood but i think even if i remember correctly the slicker the hood was like yellow so it was kind of like it was going to be a very different look but but you would still have like you know, every every good slasher should have an iconic look. And I think... Did, did he have a hook? No. No, not at all. I'm okay with that. Um, no. So, and that's one of the things that was kind of surprising is like when you see the slicker, it's like, oh, are they going to work in the hook some way? And it's like, nope. So, and I'm fine with that. Um, so mm-hmm. if their mm-hmm. version does happen, and again, I honestly think that it could now, but... If it does, uh, no, I think it's going to be their own take on that character. It couldn't be the fisherman. Wouldn't even make sense if it were the fisherman. Uh, mm-hmm. That said, do I think we're ever going to see that fisherman again? Yeah, probably not. Like, I don't see how you could do it. Um, you don't think it's it's not like Ghostface that we're going to get the fisherman back? Nah, no, I, want I him back. because yeah. y- you know how. How do you do it now? Do you do a sequel? Do you do a remake uh, again? You know, or I, you I just... bring back Anne Hesh. You take her to some kind of swampy environment 
and that's that's where you start. And Hesh was great in that film. Yeah. She was better than she had any right to be in that movie. I, I love and Hesh in that movie. I, I always talk about jokingly that I have a pitch for a fourth movie, which is just for some reason she's in like the Louisiana swamps on like, you know, those those like huts that are kind of like above the water kind of. Oh, yeah. In, in the, yeah, it's just her in one of those on a rocking chair with a shotgun and then like a bunch of douchey teens come around in like a in, in some kind of speedboat and then there's like a storm and everyone dies. That's my pitch. I dig it. I dig it. I would watch. I weirdly enough, you know, it's being a writer. I, of course, loving so many franchises. I feel like I have my my back pocket takes on all of these franchises. Like if I could only do my Halloween, if I could only do my Texas Chainsaw. And of course, I have my what I would do with I Know What You Did Last Summer. Uh, so mm-hmm. Uh, and mine, mine would involve a hook, but not a fisherman. So, you know, I like having one or the other. I th- I want at least one of the two. Personally, I want I want a little bit of the iconography. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree entirely. I think yeah, you need a little bit. You don't need everything, I don't think, but just a little bit. So, what do you think's next, if anything, for the I know it did last summer franchise? I what do you think the move is? I think it's probably going to take a break, uh, okay. which is a shame because you know what? After Scream 5's uh, success, like now Huge. is the time. This would be the time for it to work. 100%. Theatrically, or, or at least a film form. Yes. I think now is the time for them to do it, but sadly, I think they're not. Because of the show. Yeah, they're probably spooked. The, the IP is probably worth less it, now It's a little tarnished show. right now, I think. But then again... You know, we don't know what the viewership is, so maybe nobody saw that. Maybe it wouldn't matter even at least a little bit, and maybe... Maybe it helped. Maybe the fact that that's, like, stunk up ratings-wise gives us a better shot at getting a more traditional retake of the franchise. Yeah, and I mean, when you have Halloween, you know, sort of uh, with its success currently, and when you have Scream coming back roaring, and you know, when the, when the slasher subgenre is really kind of like up again, now is the time. Now is the time to strike with that. Uh, that I know, I know mm-hmm. iron. I just, uh, I just feel like it, they should, and I, I just don't know if they will. I agree with you a hundred percent. Um, too bad. Um, Jinx, I'm wondering if you wanted to be found by the public, where could they find you? Okay, so if you want to find me on Twitter, I am at Jinx1981. That's J-I-N-X-1981. If you want to find me on Instagram, that is Jinx740941. And I, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, otherwise, you can find my work on Bloody Disgusting. I write Phantom Limbs, Larval Inc., um, haven't done Mask of Insanity or Blood Ink Staples in quite a while, but maybe I'll get back to this one day. But yeah, primarily, primarily Phantom Limbs is what I uh, work on these days. So please check it out and let me know what you think. I saw there was a, a Texas Chainsaw one very recently. I actually, so I did a Larval Ink uh, with Adam Marcus and Deborah Sullivan. Larval Ink is all about, you know, whereas Phantom Limbs is all about horror movie sequels and remakes that were never made. Larval Inc. is all about the earliest versions of movies that were made, but wound up being quite different from their initial drafts. And so I did an interview with uh, Adam Marcus and Deborah Sullivan about their original um, script for Texas Chainsaw 3D, which was originally called Leatherface 3D. And um, 
<laughs> let me just tell you, we were robbed because oh. there, everything that you dislike about Texas Chainsaw 3D is not an issue okay. in their script. Uh, their script oh, is great. Uh, it doesn't have the weird time thing. Like it was set in 1993. There's no FaceTime sequence. Uh, it's genuinely scary. Uh, it has characters. Is the cousin line still there? Nope. That's well. Then I don't like. Neither it. is uh, a Floridian telling somebody "Welcome to Texas, motherfucker." That's not in there. <laughs> um, I forgot about that movie. It, it's it is mean as hell. It has a big heart. Uh, great characters that you give a damn about. Uh, astonishingly brutal sequences of violence, and uh, nice. it feels like a genuine horror epic, like a generational epic, and. Uh, you know, so it's so sad to read that script and then to see what became of it. And then from that, they had mentioned that uh, they came onto the project after a writer named Stephen Susco, who was the writer of The Grudge, and he was the writer director of Unfriended Dark Web, both movies that I really dig. And mm-hmm. apparently, they didn't look at his script; they weren't allowed to because Lionsgate wanted them to go as far away from what he did as possible. So, me, <laughs> you know, I'm hearing this, and I'm just kind of like, I, you know, I snapped the pen out, and I'm like, thank you. And so I reached out to Steven Susco and he was generous enough to, um, to talk at length about what his take was going to be. And, oh, Josh. So he pitched them a trilogy called Leatherface that was going to take place. It was going to start the moment the original Hooper movie ended, like literally moment of. It was going to be shot 16 millimeter handheld. Toby Hooper and Kim Hinkle both signed off on it. Hooper was going to direct the second movie of the trilogy. And because they were developing it with twisted pictures at the time. RIP. James Wan was going to direct the initial movie. Yes. So that would have been amazing. Even the concept work for it. Mr. Sesco provided um, uh, a good combo. Oh my God. It just, it would have been great. We have pictures up with uh, Toby Hooper and James Wan holding up James Wan's concept art for what his leather face would have looked like. What year was this? Was this late 2000s or something? <clears throat> this would have been like mid to late aughts. That was the development period. And uh, James okay. Wan was kind enough to not only give us permission to use the photographs of he and Mr. Hooper uh, in what Steven Sesco described as these epic dinners. But um, in addition oh. to that, he provided a quote where he basically noted that during this time he was attached to Texas Chainsaw, he was attached to Castlevania, he was attached to The Blob, and none of them got made, and he wound up making Insidious instead. Wow. That's horror history. That's fucking cool as hell. It was uh, it was sad, because I, I will say Susco's idea for Leatherface, and the backstory, and the story that the trilogy would have told, which would have taken place over three days, like, all of the stuff that he described just sounded like the best. And uh, and then we got Texas Chainsaw 3D, so. Yikes. Although the best thing about that movie was that teaser poster with all the different Leatherfaces on it. Oh, yeah. That was fucking cool. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know what? Leatherface ain't dead. One of these days, we're, we're going to get something maybe a closer to those lines. But yeah, Jinx, this was a fucking cool-ass episode. I love I Know What You Did Last Summer. I think this might be our longest episode yet, which honestly, I, I'm okay with. It might be. It might be. <laughs> but I love it. 
And thank you, as always, for coming back. We love you here. We're stans. Of course, thank you so much. We're, I, we're Flana fans. We're Flana fans. Hell yes. I, I appreciate it. I always have a blast uh, <laughs> being on here. So uh, thanks anytime. And, um, you know, just let me out. <clears throat> Thank you so much for listening to Development Hell. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do us a major favor of leaving us five stars and writing a positive review. It really makes all the difference in the world. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Development Hell. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network. <laughs>